1: Hi and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for 4 minutes and 20 seconds. We are a group of experts in different cannabis spaces with a wide diversity of perspectives and life experiences. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Wednesday, March 23rd, 2022. This is episode number 242. I'm Susan Sorries, the founder of the State of Cannabis News Hour, author of the children's book What's Growing in Grandma's Garden, and Cannabis' Favorite Grandma, aka Nanogram. If you're listening to the podcast or watching on the YouTube channel, the show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Clubhouse. Spark it up with us and over 28,000 State of Cannabis news hour members if you want to be an audience participant. Otherwise, please subscribe to support our show. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a review. Today we're talking about how magic mushrooms could follow in the footsteps of cannabis, a Pasadena federal credit union launches a social equity program, Texas and a smokable hemp ban. The effects of smoking cannabis, Cresco Labs buying Columbia Care, selling motivation and cannabis, the VA and suicide, and many other frosty nuggets, so stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour. The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised. Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read, and we'll try to bring you up to the stage. Keep it brief and relevant, or you might get the gong. First up, I want to do an update on Brittany Griner. I told you guys this story's going to keep going. It's going. So according to TMZ Sports... Uh, U.S. State Department spokesperson Ned Price made the announcement on CNN on Wednesday explaining Russia is now allowing the U.S. to provide consular access to uh, Griner. I guess that means uh, legal advice for her. I don't know. Price said an official from the U.S. Embassy was able to see her, quote, within the past couple of hours, unquote, saying they checked on her condition and found she's doing okay while detained. Price vowed that the U.S. government will, quote, work very closely with her legal team, with her broader network, to see to it that she is treated fairly, unquote. That is a message that we will continue to convey in no uncertain terms to the Russian Federation, he added. So we've got some progress, and uh, we'll keep checking in. Does anyone want to say anything about that before we move on?
0: I just really like just saying free Britney.
1: Britney
0: G. No, just Brittany.
1: Right? Brittany G. No, free Brittany. (laughs) All right. So up next we've Rico, did you want to say something?
2: No, I was gonna say Jesus, bro. Jesus. Oh, free (laughs) Britney. Yes. Jesus.
0: That's a G Rico.
1: Uh, okay. Uh, up next is Rico Lamite. He likes to ask the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask. The self-proclaimed dopest dad alive is here to encourage other dope dads. Find him on TEDx or at one of his cannabis events, but always find him here every weekday as co-producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour. What you got today, Rico?
2: So I've got a little. Uh, I'm a little torn on this issue. And so I'm gonna go pretty short on the article and um, hopefully I can tee it up for a little debate at the end of it. So uh, my story is coming out of Politico. Um, how magic mushrooms could follow in the footsteps of cannabis. So according to Politico's Mo- uh, Mona Zhang and Liz Crampton, the movement to decriminalize and legalize psychedelic substances uh, uh, such as magic mushrooms is being driven by the same destigmatization playbook that helped uh, Americans politically embraced cannabis over the past decade, using nascent research and personal stories, particularly from military veterans, to convince lawmakers to rethink prohibition. Just five years ago, you g- couldn't present anything tied to shrooms uh, or psychedelics to local legislators, but now they're on bills from both Republicans and, and Democrats in over a dozen states. Democratic Washington State Senator Jesse uh, Salmon or Salomon, I don't know, uh, says in this article, of proposals. To study medical benefits of psychedelics added to bills allowing adults to consume under supervision have gone viral and sparked an interest nationwide. I just don't I just didn't know there were so many like minded people on this. He's currently sponsoring a bill that would allow psilocybin use for adults over 21 under supervision. The movement still hasn't gained traction, with many on the federal level, however. Uh, psilocybin, LSD, and MDMA are still se- Schedule One narcotics under the Controlled Substance Act, uh, classified as highly addictive with no medical applications. But the article highlights some signs of growing interest. Like in January, the National Institute of Drug Abuse hosted a workshop on psychedelics and therapeutics, and last year it awarded a $4 million grant to explore the impact of psilocybin on tobacco addiction. Rep. rep- Representative Alexandria Ocasio Cortez uh, has sought to make it easier to conduct psychedelic research, but those efforts have been rejected by lawmakers. They touch upon the 60s acid backlash, the U.S. Uh, had similar. Psychedelic Renaissance in LSD was the subject of more than a thousand scientific articles published between 1950 and 61. And psychiatrists pioneered therapeutic use of LSD in the early 50s. Uh, but just like cannabis movement we talked about yesterday, it became highly politicized and targeted by opposing groups as dangerous wing of the 60s counterculture, driving research underground for decades. Uh, Republican Oklahoma State Representative Daniel Pays uh, introduced legislation last year. Uh, to facilitate psilocybin research. He says he was inspired by similar legislation passed by Texas last year uh, and is driven by a desire to help rectify the suicide rate among Oklahoma's veterans, which is higher than the national average. He says he was humbled by the bipartisan support of the bill, which the House approved earlier this month. He was quoted in the piece saying, in a post-pandemic America, we have to address the mental health crisis um, as thoughtful as possible as we can uh, with all the options on the table. You know what? I do agree with him on that front. Uh, The article's a little lengthy, but I highly recommend the read if you've got about 10 minutes to burn, as it draws upon points from both Democrats and Republicans. I'm not really big on using protected groups of Americans as political pawns to push legislation, but it seems to be working with veterans, and uh, people are getting access to medicine quicker as a result. Uh, Maybe it's something that the cannabis industry can lean further into instead of fighting so hard to right the wrongs of the war on drugs. If legalization matters to you more, than the people who were harmed by the war on drugs uh, for generations after generation. So um, I want to, uh, just want to spark a debate here. Um, uh, should we lean more into the veteran debate rather than the war on drugs? I don't want to discount anybody who's died, anybody who's been affected ne- negatively um, for this, or um, uh, cut short anybody's fight uh, to actually get— their licensure or anything like that, but it seems to be working um, using the veterans as the fight uh, on the psilocybin on the, on the psychedelic end of the uh, end of this debate. So um, I want to tee it up to the rest of the team. What do you guys think? Uh, should we uh, lean more on the veteran end of uh, the argument or should we continue talking about social equity? What do you guys think? There's Rico to meet. Dope's uh, down on the street for a state of cannabis news hour.
3: So Rico, uh-
4: I think that we should lean on the veterans because I think that they, you know, are, Just I think that that's our strength.
5: Rico, I agree. And I think that um, not to do away with the conversation of social equity, but I think from a policy perspective and gaining more support on, you know, and getting more coalition between Democrats and Republicans, um, we are starting to do a hard pivot towards our veterans and specifically veterans of color who have been left out in the conversation of of access to medicine. So I, I agree somewhat.
3: Yep. I hear I hear you, Roz. And I, I look, as a veteran myself and a person of color, I appreciate it. I think veterans are something that we can all rally around because it's hard to argue when somebody has committed their life and blood to the country and put, you know, put their life at risk, or at least signed up to put their life at risk. That being said. That's all it is. It's just like we're doing it because, oh, this is something we can rally around, not because there's tacit agreement. But yeah, I do think we need to lean into veterans because I think it's common ground that all of us can rally around. These are people that paid it forward for us and we should be looking for ways to do the right thing. And the fact that veterans groups have rallied around cannabis and psilocybin, especially around PTSD uh, indications, I think is a good uh, tip of the spear, if you will, for both industries. I agree.
2: But do you think uh, do you guys think that the the whole argument and the whole fight against the war on drugs is going to be lost if we do get federal legalization pushed? And it's more uh, rallied around the veterans. Um, Is anything even going to be done to right the wrongs of the war on drugs? That's 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 my fear. It's all going to be lost. And everybody's going to forget about that altogether. And black and brown people are going to continue to hurt.
3: Yeah. Hey, Rico, man, as a fellow person of color, do I really believe reparations are ever going to come? Do you believe that? So this notion that we could repair the damage done by the war on drugs is hopeful. It's wishful thinking. I'd rather just have the war on drugs end and start the healing process in some way, shape or form. But to think that we would get any payback or any nod to what's happened. (laughs) Well, what about all the other shit that's happened in history that we're still waiting on? So I would just as soon see it end. Right. I agree. I think it's aspirational, um, but.
2: This is why I say we need to talk about reparations. Fuck social equity. um, It's a great philosophy, great cause, but it's not working anywhere. If you want legalization, veterans, looks like it's going to be the way. All right, we're at the end of the time for that story. Thank you guys for that a little thoughtful debate there. All right, so uh, up next, she's a Master of Divinity Juris Doctorate, uh, Graduate Tax Dollar, Scholar, and um, she's always lit, man. Up next is uh, Victoria Litman. I wanted to keep it short so we can go into your story immediately.
6: Yeah, thank you. My story today, uh, is re- I think it's really an important piece, and I'm happy to bring it. Um, devastating piece coming out of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. The headline is, the time I bought marijuana for my son in a Petco parking lot. Subheadline says, uh, filling in quotations, a prescription for medical marijuana oil during chemo took creativity. The author of the piece is a Father Bill writing about an experience he and his wife faced during their son Michael's two-year fight against an aggressive bone cancer treated by chemo and nausea. He says the doctors were always chasing the nausea, prescribing one drug after another for relief, a routine that was very hit or missed, often missed. He says it was a hellish existence for Michael and very dire for my wife and I who had to helplessly watch our child suffer so miserably. In 2019, Michael inquired about medical cannabis. His oncologist wrote him a script, but explained that in Georgia, it remained in a bizarre limbo. A doctor could prescribe the low THC oil, and it was legal to possess it, but it was illegal to grow the plant that supplied the oil in the state, and it was illegal for the state law to bring it in from elsewhere. Uh, Bill writes, therefore, you must get it from the pot ferry or somewhere. It's not clear. The legislature, again, in all its wisdom, didn't elucidate. So once Bill received the prescription recommendation from the oncologist, he made calls and came to contact with what he called a medical marijuana underground railroad. He was connected to a woman who had some oil matching the prescription and met her outside of a suburban Petco. In 2019, a full four years post-medical legalization, the legislature during that year when he did that Petco uh, transaction... The legislature finally passed a bill that would have established companies who could grow. Per usual, this involved a highly competitive bid process with six companies selected out of 40, 50 who applied, including some with Republican lawmakers who voted against legalization on their board. Again, per usual, there was protests from applicants that were not selected, and the plan to actually start producing the oil was stalled, leaving patients again with no access. This year, 2022, several legislatures are again trying to get something moving. At a recent committee hearing, State Representative Sharon Cooper spoke of the cruel passage of time since lawmakers have debated the issue in 2019, which again was four years, I think, after they actually passed it. So it's been, you know, we're coming on almost 10 years since they've legalized it. She noted while choking up that several patients pushing for medical marijuana, some of the original advocates or their children have passed away during this time. Bill, who was the author of this piece, wrote that his son was one of them. Michael died in 2019 at the age of 20. At another hearing, Dale Jackson, who has a son with autism, told representatives, if you look behind me in the audience, you won't find any family members anymore because we've given up. You've crushed our spirit. This building has crushed our spirit. We were told to just do it right. Follow the process. It just takes time, he said, his voice growing angry. You lied to us because we've done it for seven years and we still don't have an ounce of medicine on the street. Because of that, the resident said that's where he gets it, on the street." Today, there are 20,000 plus Georgians on the state's medical marijuana registry and still no clear way for them or their families to get what they need. There were other bills that were introduced this session that would have expedited the licensing, but ultimately the only one that passed through the House starts the process all over again, which guarantees another three-year wait. Um, State Rep. Alan Powell, who tried to introduce that bill, said many legislators are worried that medical marijuana is merely a foot in the door for recreational. That reluctance has forced this long stall, even though a 2018 poll showed that 77% of Georgians support it. Um, and it's surely that number has grown. Um, so Alan Peake, the, a former Republican state rep, this part of the story really blew me away from Macon, is the legislator who, who started all of this in 2015. And he remains frustrated by the inaction. He says it's completely and utterly devastating for families to continue to delay to get access and that the leaders have failed them. Um, he says, you know, and it takes will and there hasn't been that. But he was one of the losing bidders. He's a former state legislature. He did not file to protest. He has for several years helped foot this underground delivery system to families. Somehow medical marijuana oil enters the state somehow. And has volunteers deliver it to those with prescriptions. He's passed the oils on to his helpers at the state capitol. So literally this underground system comes through the state capitol and then goes out and delivers it. Um, so our guardian angels meet people at Target. At Chick-fil-A, he said, they've even taken oil to sheriff's offices. Surely there's got to be a better way, the opinion piece Uh, And and so I'll just give one second of comments. I think this is just wild, devastating. Access has to mean that people can get it and use it. We need to stop talking about what about the children? They're going to get it and really ask, like, what about the children that need access to this medicine? What about their parents that are risking everything to take care of their children? There's no way for them to know whether that medicine is of what quality. I mean, there's a lot of issues here. And I just think if we're not talking about medical and medical protections, especially for you know pediatric patients, I, you know it sounds like when this child was beginning his treatment, he was 18 or under. Um, at both the state and federal level, uh, I think we're still talking about prohibition. So I think this is a really sad story, but I, uh, important to bring. And I appreciate the time. And I'm Victoria Littman with the State of Cannabis News Hour. It's just
5: sad. As you were reading that story, Victoria, is just um, I remember spending time with with lawmakers and talking about, you know, legalization. How can you square up having, allowing patients the hope of having medicine? However, they don't know how to get it because you don't have a way for it to be grown, processed or cultivated in a way that protects the patient, the quality of the product, so on and so forth. And it's just sad. And and I didn't realize they have a bill that's going through the House to restart the whole process over again. And, um, you know, it's just... It just makes you shake your head. It's
7: like this endless kind of circle of nonsense in which one agency says that they cannot do something because of the federal status. And then it just kind of is a hot potato that keeps getting passed around. Meanwhile, uh, there is evidence and research as to the, the medical benefit for this. But but folks, you know, children can't get access. Various people can't get access because of this red tape. Yes,
2: I'm yes. never in that situation ever, ever. Yes. Yeah. Well,
7: and, and the thing
5: about it is, if you guys think about it, you know, we are fighting like, you know, the little people are like, yeah, we don't know if we want legalization because we don't want the big companies just to come over and take over. But if we don't get legaliz- legalization, you got the medical side, which is so near and dear to my heart, because that's why I started how I got into the industry for my son, that we, st- we got people like people are suffering because they don't have access and i'm a witness to the power of this plant and so it's just so hard to try to square up your position as an advocate as someone that's you know in the industry where should we be on this she would be fighting for legalization so patients are good and they can have access however we know from an economic standpoint that that may be the end of a small business or you know uh, the little man being able to be up to to participate in this industry it's just man, it boggles them mind,
8: dr felicia we keep overlooking y'all the 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 impact of money it, when you look at all of these heartbreaking stories of how this medicine helps people and how they still can't get it but your politicians are still not doing the right thing we have to look at the money overturn citizens united that allowed corporate and dark money into politics, and that's why your legislators are listening to the people with the most bucks instead of to the regular people who are putting them in putting them in office. That is the the crux of the problem.
0: You're never gonna stop the money the money coming into politics. That's just not a yeah, reality. Yeah,
8: if if, if if we if black folk believe that that slavery would never end, we would never fight. So we're gonna keep fighting, and we're gonna keep voting. Yeah, because we are not gonna we are not gonna believe. Never, never, never. Yeah. that's not going to happen. Yeah, Sally. never just, say never, Jason. You're, you're just
0: never going to get the money out of politics. You have to feed the machine. Okay, Bologna. that's just how it
4: works.
1: No, we're going to fix it. This is just you don't
4: continually highlighting the war on drugs and people. Don't and be a negative, Nancy, Nancy, Jason. I'm not being negative. I'm just letting you all know that
0: you're never going to take I, the money out of politics. That's just the pure and simple I, truth of the matter. Where's
9: the brinch music it, for Jason? No, I, but
5: listen, but let yeah. me tell you what what Jason is saying. Let, let me just let's let's be you know. What he's trying to say is is that there's other different industries who spend 10 to 20 times more money than the cannabis industry for, for lobbying for their, their special interests. That money in, in totality, you will never see money come out of the political system because that's the way that business has been done over the years where you go and you're able to basically, you know, the highest bidder wins. And unfortunately, it's, it's hitting our industry as well.
8: Not to the degree and, that it is now, Roz. I'm sorry. Leadership at, at, should, at at these, after Citizens United, our political system completely stopped working. Completely no, that, stopped that, working. That, 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 that's not true. Our political system. It, oh, I'm sorry. It works for the rich. It works for the rich and powerful. It works for the rich and powerful.
0: Citizens United was just a fraudulent piece of legislation that was put to pacify people. It was a okay. bill. To, to, to yeah, to yeah, it was money working from one
1: way and another way. Look at our politics Citizens United. Look at it. Ooh. All right, all right, I- we're we're gonna get a room. We're gonna get yeah. a room. Yeah, I
2: let's like that room. spice, that Wednesday spice I, today. But let's, keep it, let's keep it broke. civilized today. Keep it, let's keep it okay. civilized. Yep, let's go.
1: Susan, right. can I say one more thing? Mm, we need to get a room. We need to keep moving. It's, okay. right. everybody wants to say one more thing. So yes, <laughs> let's get a room. I want to say more things too. Go, Rico. All right,
2: Jason Beck is just doing his thing. <laughs> he loves to trigger, and uh, he is the. Cannabis industry's longest continuously running retailer. And I just read on his Wikipedia page, he's now also the holder of three, count them, three PhDs with the Z in bro science. Very unreal. <laughs> also known as the Kaiser Brose uh, to all of us. And um, you can catch him wearing a mink coat, private jet hopping, triggering the libs, and um, smoking the world's best weed on any given day. Jason Beck, what you, you got for today, my no
0: man? <laughs> 100% Rico, and that is also while I'm sipping on liberal tears to rehydrate myself from all of this weed that I'm smoking. But nonetheless, let's get back to the, to the real headline. My topic today comes out of Pasadena, and everyone who's a naysayer against safe banking, I have this to say to you, okay, because this is the way of how it will be done, where Pasadena Service Federal Credit Union launches a social equity program with standard C to provide banking for cannabis and marijuana businesses. Where's the applause and the claps in the room? Pasadena Service, Federal Credit Union, and Standard C have announced the formation of a social equity program to help underserved cannabis businesses obtain fair access to banking and financial services. Despite delays by the United States Congress to pass cannabis banking reforms and broader legislation for cannabis legislation, most notably the Safe Banking Act, which needs to pass, pass safe banking and the cannabis Uh, Administration and Opportunity Act, Pasadena Service, FCU, has taken the initiative to serve the underserved communities that have been adversely impacted by the war on drugs. Jamal Byers, Director of Compliance for Pasadena Service, FCU, commented, While Congress deliberates, our credit union is doing what we can to help level the playing field by providing access to banking to those who truly need it. While cannabis remains restricted under the Controlled Substances Act, CSA, the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, That's FinCEN, which enforces the Bank Securities Act, the BSA, and its anti-mundering laws, AML, requirements issued guidance under Fencing 2014, G-001, in 2014. That clarifies how financial institutions provide services to cannabis-related businesses consistent with their BSA obligations. Robert Barron, the chief experience officer for Standard C, noted in launching its social equity program, Pasadena Service FCU is solving a fundamental problem Faced by the cannabis industry, particularly those businesses that do not have access to the banking system, Standard C is proud to support the efforts of the Pasadena Service Federal Credit Union and enable financial institutions to serve the underserved market. Businesses looking to apply for an account with Pasadena Services Federal Credit Union can complete an application with Standard C using this link. And I will share this link so that way Susan can share it with all of you in our newsletter. And I really want to applaud this bank for coming out and taking this action is definitely what's needed and and, and again i'm going to say it again pass safe fucking banking. And this is jason deck reporting for the state of cannabis news hour
2: J- jason J- jason has gone full rick flair this morning <laughs> you guys got them all revved up but i have to <laughs> i respond to that by another fuck safe bank <laughs> fuck
6: you nothing makes jason happier bank. than kids suffering right <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: like, who's suffering victoria i don't like to see anyone suffering that's just fake news
6: and that was i that can last hear him story. kissing
9: his own i can hear him kissing his own
0: biceps
8: Chris!
0: everyone loves to easy. kiss my biceps chris <laughs> <laughs> i'll be right over Oh, I, I, so, I,
5: you know what? I wonder what you know. Out of all the banks, all the credit unions in California, what was the impetus behind them taking that that step out? And you know, it, was it? Is it clickbait? Are they serious? Does it? Are they? I would love to see some outcomes after about six months to a year.
0: Hold on, Ross. How about just say that this is great news and let's see where this goes. Like, This is great that that even a credit Uh, union is coming out with this type of a press release to to put this narrative forward because other credit unions need to step and follow in their footsteps and offer the same service to their community members.
5: Well, let me tell you why I don't because it's been historically known that people will do things. It's supposed to help social equity, i.e. black folks, and it ends up not helping. It ends up being a bullshit. So that's why I said I'm waiting to see how it happens. And so once you live, uh, until you live a day and walk a day in my shoes you also will become skeptical when you hear things that come out I'm not saying I'm not happy about it but I'm also questioning it and I will always question
0: it
9: Jason any, banks, banking. Any, Jason, any banks in America can do uh, cannabis banking right now. They can, but it's too expensive to do so. No, they no, they cannot, um, that, They
0: They cannot. Oh, sure they can. No, oh, sure no, no, they no, can. No, 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 they absolutely can, I mean, but I mean, the I problem is that it's too expensive. Could. Look, no, Jason, you can not, it's, speak it's, it's louder and faster if it's it's you want, but it's not an effective insurance. way to communicate. It's about the insurance. It's about insurance, and it's about the fact that
9: a banker... Uh, servicing regular clients, not in the cannabis industry, can serve a hundred times more clients in another industry than in cannabis because of all the SARS reporting and and all the all the uh, process they have to go through. That's why the main reason why banks don't do this because it's too damn expensive to, to no, service cannabis business. It has nothing to
0: businesses. do with the expense. It has everything I've to do with the I've spoken to insurance. bankers
9: about this, Jason. You're, it's just you're, not you're Jason. Wrong. You're wrong. Yeah, no, not, sorry. I've spoken to real. bankers Jason, directly you're not about this.
6: Right. Like, i am
9: always right you're you're, lu- no, you're loud no. though you're you're loud i'll give you that all
2: right all
6: right
1: let's keep all right, smoking next. the
2: news all right. so she's a pot loving phd pushing for common sense cannabis policy for everyday people in a real life outside the box activist remaining optimistic in the midst of cannabis chaos like we're having here today <laughs> up next is medica <laughs> mahajan what you got for us today <laughs> medica
7: Thank you so much, Rico. Uh, So I'm going to take things in a very different direction. Um, I am talking about a High Times article that uh, the headline reads, New VA Veteran Suicide Program Won't Allow Cannabis as Treatment. And I want to give a trigger warning right at the top. In this segment, I'll be discussing suicide, which some listeners may find disturbing. If you or someone you know is suicidal, please contact your physician, go to your local ER, or call the Suicide Prevention hotline. In the U.S., that phone number is 1-800-273-8255. So here is the story. Uh, Earlier this month, the Department of Veterans Affairs published a notice that it would be creating a three-year suicide prevention grant program funded with a $174 million million appropriation from Congress. This program is named after veteran Parker Gordon Fox, who joined the Army in 2014 and who died by suicide six years later on July 21st, 2020, at the age of 25. The Suicide Prevention Grant Program has been created by interim final rule effective on April 11th, 2022, but it's not too late to submit your comments. You have until May 9th of this year. Organizations will be able to apply for grants worth up to $750,000, and the VA will implement the program by funding, quote, Eligible entities to provide or coordinate the provision of suicide prevention services to eligible individuals and their families for the purpose of reducing veteran suicide. The VA specifically states that medical cannabis treatment approaches are excluded. Quote, it is also important for VA to note that any approaches and treatment practices approved will need to be consistent with applicable federal law. For example, the use of grant funds to provide or coordinate the provision of marijuana to eligible individuals and their families will be prohibited, as marijuana is currently illegal under federal law. Cannabis fits under the category of non-traditional and innovative treatments, if you look at the federal register and grant notice, but it will not be funded. If you disagree with this or think that the VA should be proactive in pushing other agencies in the executive branch to correct the scheduling of cannabis so veterans can access suicide prevention programs, Uh, and approaches involving cannabis, consider submitting your comments for inclusion in the record. One group that's advocating for the descheduling of cannabis from a veterans access perspective is the Veterans Action Council, the VAC. Last week, the VAC sent a letter to U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland pointing out that he is out of compliance with federal law, specifically the Controlled Substances Act, the CSA. You may be wondering how and why the overseer of the Department of Justice could fail to follow the law. So here's the deal. On December 20th, 2020, the United Nations deleted cannabis and cannabis resins from its most restrictive schedule of the Control of Controlled Substances under the Single Convention on Narcotic Drugs of 1961. This treaty change and the World Health Organization's cannabis approval that underpinned it triggered a clause in our CSA in the United States. In some cases, treaty changes require adding a new substance to the control schedules. In this case, the deletion of a substance in treaty requires a corresponding change in the CSA, according to the Veterans Action Council. We have Michael Krawitz with us today. Uh, Could we please bring him up from the audience? And he is here to shed some light on federal cannabis policy from the veteran perspective. Michael is the Executive Director of Veterans for Medical Cannabis Access and leads the Veterans Action Council. Hi, Michael. Thank you for joining us. You've been working on Veterans Access for many years. Uh, we'd love for you to share some insights with listeners today to help them understand what's going on. So I will pass the mic to you, please.
10: Thank you. Thank you so much, Monica. Good morning, everyone. The veterans uh, group that I gr- belong to and I'm the executive director of is called Veterans for Medical Cannabis Access. And I am a proud member, uh, a council member of the Veterans uh, Action Council. Um, we actually, Veterans for Medical Cannabis Access, brokered the VA policy that we're now under back in 2010, believe it or not. And believe it or not, the VA uh, just really, uh, for the very first time, uh, solidly promoted that policy and spoke of the policy with a recent sit rep video that I would point everyone to. But this story, this headline, uh, you know, really, the, the VHA, the Veterans Health Administration, is caught between the, the federal and state in a way. The federal government runs narcotic drugs. They control the DEA prescription pad. But the states, the states is where medical boards, medical licenses, all this medical stuff happens. So, you know, what we've done from my perspective is we've created a life raft made out of hemp and cannabis. And we've, you know, swam with our, all our energy out into the ocean to try to help the VA with this problem. And they're saying, no, we'd rather drown. The doctors inside VHA are expected to be real doctors. I mean, that's not just us, the veterans that expect that. The leadership of the VA expects them to be real doctors, find real solutions for their patients. The Veterans Health Administration leadership uh, would never imagine that these doctors actually set aside their medical training and their medical knowledge and what's best for their patient in favor of some, you know, directive or memo that they sent down as a result of the DEA pressure.
7: Hmm. That's so interesting. And so, um, so there, are you saying that the red tape is basically preventing access to a, a common medical treatment?
10: I'm saying that veterans in Canada go and get their veterans benefits. And with those veterans benefits are accessing cannabis that is mailed to their home by the program and veterans in the United States are not. Why not? Okay.
7: Thank you so much, Michael. We're at time on this headline, but really appreciate you coming up to share your insights.
10: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, Michael. We're gonna relight the room really
11: quickly.
0: Tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose.
11: The thoughts and opinions expressed in the State of Cannabis News Hour are those of the individual speakers, not those of any other speaker, the State of Cannabis, or its members. The statements made in the State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and the State of Cannabis and its speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, or territory, or any other authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationships. The sponsorship of the State of Cannabis News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Cannabis or the expressions of any opinions whatsoever on the part of the State of Cannabis or any of its speakers.
12: Viewer discretion advised.
1: Let's keep smoking the news.
2: Let's... He's an OG dope dad, known and respected by industry peers as a steadfast defender of cannabis culture and perpetual bridger of gaps. Always the first step up and defend legacy operators and the co founder of and now CEO of Papa and Barkley. He's come to the stage next, Guy Rocord. What you got for us today, my man?
3: Thanks, Rico. Good morning, Susan. Good morning, team. Uh, This morning, my article is coming out of the Los Angeles Daily News, and it says new rules add more complications to the state's legal marijuana system, as if it wasn't complicated enough. It's well documented that California's legal marketplace is rife with problems due in part to onerous red tape, high taxes that allow the traditional market to continue to dominate. As a result, California is again looking to overhaul this regulatory framework for adult and medical use. The Department of Cannabis Control last year, you know, as a result of previous regulatory overhaul and consolidated efforts Uh, consolidated three different agencies into one and has proposed new rules to govern the legal cannabis market. Unfortunately, many of the changes would further complicate the legal cannabis market rather than improving it. In 2019, the legislative analyst office found California's cannabis taxes were too high and the taxing mechanism too inefficient for licensed cannabis companies to successfully keep compete with the illicit market. Thus, even if the marijuana industry thrives in most parts of the ca- the country, a coalition of licensed marijuana businesses recently complained that the entire industry in California is collapsing. So among the positive changes which just between you and I, I'm not sure is positive. One, the article says that one of the positive changes is that the rule would ease ownership reporting requirements by clarifying that passive investors with less than 10 percent ownership is a, in a, is a licensed business would no longer be considered a financial interest holder responsible for providing extensive reporting and background checks to the state as a condition of licensed businesses. Not sure why that actually is positive to us. It just means that investors just have to be savvy and own less than 10 percent amongst their friends and or amongst entities and just have less reporting that is not actually positive i just want to be clear the article says it is unfortunately it does go on to say that the majority of the proposed changes would make it even more costly and burdensome for cannabis industry businesses to operate the state's legal cannabis market for instance the department of cannabis control is considering banning the use of shipping containers and modular buildings on the premises of legal cannabis facilities which will require many cannabis companies to build costly permanent structures existing licensees are only offered a six-month grace period to erect these permanent structures and come into compliance with the new rules further raising the cost of compliance and making it harder for cannabis companies to compete with the illicit market they also are proposing that in addition to the previous bill that said if you had employees north of more than 20 employees you had to submit a labor peace agreement with local unions This this requirement is constitutionally suspect because it's typically only reserved for the National Labor Board to, to solely impose these kinds of requirements. But here it is, the DCC is, and they're thinking about further extending it to companies that have less than 20 employees. Again, I support unions and I appreciate as a person that has an employee base of 120 people, I understand why we need that. But A, not the point of the DCC to require it. B, doesn't the DCC have bigger fish to fry? That's just my opinion. That's not in the article going on. It does say that Gavin Newsom has indicated that he need that he understand the understanding that certain changes need to be made to allow the legal cannabis industry to compete uh it is clear uh in the article that they recognize that we need to do away with all wholesale taxes and change and charge only a modest retail excise tax that's the only way the industry should grow that's how it's been done in other industries that have not shamed and demonized like cannabis Again, that is also my opinion. But I suggest everybody read this. It's happening to us. It's, if you're in the industry, it's going to affect you, in California specifically. Uh, so let's talk about it. I'm Guy Rocourt, reporting for the State of Canvas Hour.
1: And, Guy, we, we have international listeners on the podcast especially, and I just want to uh, shout out to them, don't do what California did, is doing, et cetera. It's a pot mess.
2: It really is, and this is more shit that's going to push out the smaller operators.
3: It's it's a full-time jack move by big business, big weed. Yeah, agreed, agreed, especially the, the notion of, like, 10%. Look, I've taken in investors. Most investors don't have – 10% equity stake, right? And yes, you have more, of course, you should be registered, but now this notion that Pretty much anybody can figure out how to come under that 10 percent, not have to have a background check. That just means illicit money is going to start to back companies and that could blow up. And that was not a positive. But I do like that the article states that the clear thing to do is get rid of the wholesale tax and make the excise tax more reasonable.
1: And California needs a governor that has at least tried cannabis. Let's get a governor that actually enjoys cannabis next time.
0: Gee, did you say that as a result of this, there's going to be much more Russian money flowing into the cannabis space? Possibly.
1: <laughs> going on to the next story.
2: <laughs> I'm not going to touch that one. Going to the next story. Um, she's a Florida-based boss, entrepreneur leading the charge for ultimate cannabis lifestyle brand, Black Buddha Cannabis. She's also the founder and CEO of Minorities for Medical Marijuana. And coming to the stage next is Roz McCarthy. What you got for us, Roz? Well, hello,
5: hello, hello. Good morning, good afternoon, everyone. Um, Roz McCarthy here, and so we had some breaking news that happened this morning, and I thought it was pretty interesting. It gave, it made me say, "Whoa!" Um, this is from man, Bloomberg News, and it's Cresco Labs to buy Columbia Care. In a $2 billion cannabis deal. Deal will expand Cresco reach to 17 states, up from 10, and marijuana industry is considering amid US legal hurdles. And this is by Tiffany Carey, so thank you, Tiffany, for this article. Um, Basically, she's reporting that Cresco Labs plans to buy Columbia Care Inc. for about $2 billion in one of the largest cannabis industry mergers yet. The deal will combine Cresco's well organized marijuana brands with the New York based Columbia Care's retail footprint to create the largest largest U.S. multi-state operator by revenue, Cresco chief executive officer Charles Bacto said in the interview. um, Literally, uh, Charlie said Bacto, who will lead the combined company, said the transactions will expand Cresco's presence to 17 states plus the District of Columbia up from 10 states. It will also give Chicago-based Cresco the top market share in Illinois, Pennsylvania, Colorado, and Virginia. Um, This is how you turn brands like High Supply, Cresco, and Floracal into Miller High Life, Coca-Cola, and Johnny Walker Blue Label, um, Bakhtel said. Um, Cresco's quest to win name recognition for three of its top marijuana brands will be bolstered by the deal, which will allow the company to sell products to 70% of the current potential market, he added. Um, Columbia Care investors will receive uh, .5579 of a subordinate voting share in Cresco for each of their shares, Making the deal worth about $2 billion, um, a $2 billion enterprise value based on Tuesday's closing price. Um, listen, you got some shares in Cresco? Um, the deal referred to as Project Jet by Cresco has been in the works for around three months. Um, I'm not going to go and read the, the whole rest of the story because I want to make sure we have time for conversation on this. But when I read this, I was just blown away. And it just shows you again um, just. Uh, this is not a. This is not um, something. I think there is a a fad that is you're going to see more mergers and acquis, acquis, acquisitions happen, and I think um, that you know. I I read something that Rico print that put on social media. Uh, I think it was yesterday, Rico, and it was just telling your story of how the little man is trying to work in this industry and work in this building brands for companies. However, you're just seeing, um, you know, more mergers, more acquisitions. None of it trickling down to the little person. And and this is just an example of it. So I just want to kind of open up. I want folks. If you have comment, please comment on this. I'm Roz McCarthy reporting to you from the State of Cannabis News Hour. I mean, this is kind
2: of—it's it's just inevitable. Um, and this is why people got to get on the same page. If you're you're, you're bottom-up, if you're fighting for social equity, if you're fighting for the little guys, uh, the little gals in the industry, you got to get on the same page and stop fighting each other, period. Uh, big Pharma and Big Business, they have billions of dollars. <laughs> you don't have those billions of dollars. And— they're just gonna merge, and merge, and merge. There's gonna be a few large operators, and there's gonna be not enough money on the, on, on the other end of the industry to, to to make a difference. It just is what it is. That's America. That's capitalism.
7: Does anyone Rico, don't know forget if this is a profitable MSO or are they operators? They don't
2: have it? to. Like, like no. almost all
0: of them are. are they,
5: they're at a loss. They're, they're operating
2: at a loss.
0: Yeah. Don't forget, Rico. Yeah, if, if all you, this merger means is that there's gonna be a whole bunch more boob- these shelves. Yep.
2: And if you care about if you care about the product, if you care about not having like all this booth flooding our streets, then stop talking shit about each other and and, and start merging with each other. Period. Uh, The the good operators, um, uh, the the good cultivators, uh, the ones that actually have decent product, y'all need to work together and stop fighting. Yeah, you see more of this. Yeah, because
5: if you, put, I, I think if you put good product out there, because one of the comments, because I put this on our our Instagram, and one of the ladies was like, "Well, I hope that um, uh, Columbia Care is going to be um, be providing the flour because Cresco's flour sucks." So I think you have a point of talking about you know just being able to have better product, um, better quality. Um, and if we can just like gather together, and this is the prime example where big companies don't need safe banking to pass in order to keep growing and making more money.
0: But yeah, look, yeah, guys, but the, the the small minority businesses needs to be I need agree. Safe I in the agree. Past. I, I and, agree with and, you. Columbia
6: and, Care and Columbia Care, Care has also has shitty flower. Yeah. You guys yeah,
3: gee has exactly. been
1: <clears throat>
6: Jason guy has been
1: trying to say no, something. Th- go ahead yeah, Guy.
3: Thank th- 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 thank you Susan. I'm sorry. I don't want to talk over people, but you know, Enrico, go to you, even to the political point, never say never. Right now businesses tend to aggregate, but look at what that's done in other industries. We don't want a whole bunch of people uh, like sing- a few entities owning all of cannabis. That's why they're operating at a loss now. They are trying to corner the market and be the biggest, like Coca Cola's, if you will, and own everything. They may even eventually put in quality, but right now it's about claiming ownership. It's a land grab. And what we need to push back is against corporate cannabis because it never works when a handful of entities own an industry. We don't like it in tobacco. We damn sure don't like it in pharma. We don't even like it in medicine. So why would we want cannabis to happen? Yes, it's natural the businesses merge and bind together and in capitalism seem to become like uh, an end game of single winners, but that hasn't worked for the consumer. We don't get enough variety that way. We need to make sure we allow for not monopolies in our industry.
2: Real quick, Liz, can you close this out?
4: Yeah, I just thank you, Guy, because I'm just closing out with what you're saying. And it goes back down to the agricultural uh, thing and then also the patients. It's that we need this diversity of cannabinoids and we need a diversity of strains to maintain this. We don't need a monoculture. And I'm sure all the doctors can echo this and all the biologists, ecologists can echo this. So thank you. Amen. Hallelujah.
2: Yes, indeed. So up next, he's a communication strategist and publisher of the American Cannabis Report. We all know him as Clark Kent. You guys might know him as Sesame and a Superman. Come to the stage next, Christopher Fucking Smith. What you got for us today, my man.
9: Thank you, Rico. I don't even know what that last part is. Good morning and good morning, Susan. My story today comes from the Washington Post, and I'm happy to say there are no trigger warnings at all with this story. Hopefully, it will transport you for a few minutes back to the days when cannabis was a little bit of fun, a little bit of mischief, and getting one over on the man made it a great day. Remember a few years ago in California when people got around the problem of selling weed without a license by selling something else and then gifting the weed? Apparently, in New York, this is big news these days, and the man is throwing a shit fit that people would have the nerve to do this. But down in D.C., fuck it. Gifting is a go. To gift marijuana, D.C. companies must sell something. This one sells motivational speeches. So there's a clever fellow down there named Ryan Ha. Uh, He's a D.C. native, 33 years old. His last major gig... Was managing a comedy club in China, which I think, if your name is Ha, seems like a sort of a dangerous thing to do. Ha? Huh? What? Ha? Huh? What? Well, that's why he did it and not me. But anyway, when he came back to D.C., the laws about possession of cannabis had changed. Sales were not legal, but it was legal to grow your own and give away up to an ounce. And so, the gifting and, and the gifting concept had worked in other places. So he created a company called Dreamy D.C. As for employees, he was turned on by how Trader Joe's greeters were so cheery. He thought of them as having the ideal personality type. And now all he needed to do was sell something, so he could gift the weed and. My guess is that he was broke at the time, so he tried to answer the question, what is an intangible gift that will sell? And you got to appreciate the logic. It's kind of like John Cusack in that movie, Say Anything, when the girlfriend's father asks him, what are your plans for the future, Lloyd? And he says, I thought about this a lot, sir. I don't want to sell anything, buy anything, or processing as, process anything as a career. I don't want to sell anything bought or processed or buy anything sold or processed. I want to or process anything bought or sold. What I really want to do is date your daughter, sir, and kickboxing, sport of the future. For Ryan Hope, Ryan Ha, the answer was not kickboxing, it was hugs. But then he pretty quickly realized that no one wants to hug their drug dealer. That that was his words. Uh, So Dreamy DC launched in 2016, offering a product that is so sustainable, it generates no waste at all. Motivational quotes. They are sold by dreamy DC speakers, quote unquote speakers like this. Uh, speaker Liz Sluchak rides her bike for deliveries on a street corner not far from Nationals Park. Uh, she finds Malcolm Bell, an account manager, who's paid sixty dollars to hear her read a Victor Hugo quote: "Laughter is the sun that drives winter from the human face." Sixty bucks. Bell contemplates them. He says the quotes always connect him with something I'm going through. He feels especially good about this after the COVID era. And now, in her personal capacity, Sluchak hands Bell the equivalent of an eighth of an ounce of marijuana. Authorities take note the weed is not Dreamy's product. It is an unrelated gift. Now, in D.C., you can sell T-shirts, pizza, juice, cookies, paintings by German shepherds, or motivational quotes, and then get a little cannabis as a gift to help you enjoy it. And in the case of motivational quotes... Who's to say what's the product and what is the gift? And I'm done speaking.
1: Great job, Christopher. Thank you so much for bringing that headline to life. You, you're, yeah, that was amazing. Thank you. My pleasure.
4: There was that was a really hilarious story, Chris. I used to work at Trader Joe's, and I love how they were inspired by that. That's hilarious.
2: I want to go out there to was- DC and start doing some spoken word, <laughs> get people to pay for that shit, just make it rain on them with fucking nugs. All day. I,
6: I don't think I you just mentioned know I this. I would deliver
0: the best speeches. Go ahead, Victoria.
6: No, I was going to say. I think there was like recent news. I don't know if we reported on it. Where like this is going to continue. Like they're not getting the regulated market, so this will be on and on. Although there is med here. I'm in DC right now, and the med is is decent. But this is definitely still the market.
0: I mean, med is, med is decent by your standards, Victoria. Med is not decent in DC. It's just blah.
6: No, but you can go. <laughs> like I can go. I can take. Think about the story I gave from Atlanta, right? Like, I can take my Rhode Island MedCard. I can go into a dispensary in D.C. and I have a choice of products. I'm I'm Um, talking about the quality uh, uh, of
0: those uh, products, Victoria, not the fact that the
2: products are there. none of it's going to be
6: California. None of it's going to be California. But, like, you know, there's a spectrum.
2: I've I smoked some of the some of the finest California bud in Washington, D.C. <laughs> that I bought from my brother's people.
6: Or maybe it is <laughs> California, right? Parents. No, I don't know.
2: Alleg- Allegedly. But there was, Allegedly. It's, it's, it's the
0: weed that California doesn't want.
6: <laughs> There's the rider, right? The congressional rider that would have actually put in place this regulated market that D.C. voted for. And, like, it's not going to happen. She's correct. Okay, thank you. I was making sure. I feel like that's the undercurrent to this story.
0: Yes, I don't I mean, know. I just know that, that, that I would have the highest-priced weed in dc because i would deliver the best speeches of any uh cannabis dealer in the streets out there
9: (laughs) (laughs) loudest for sure known
2: to some all right so up next he's known to some as long beach's finest he's the ceo of fruits labs cannabis intellectual cannabis and intellectual property attorney and you know what the vibes can be found underneath the underneath the beard outside of the beard, and also behind the glasses. Up next, Brandon Dorsky. What you got for us, my man?
13: Uh, Thanks for having me. Today, my headline comes from Law 360. It's actually different than what's posted here. It's the 19 states where marijuana can still land you in jail. 19 states and the federal government still have not decriminalized mere possession of marijuana. The Marijuana Policy Project published a report on Tuesday called Behind the Times that analyze these jurisdictions that still criminalize the nominal possession of cannabis. The states identified as not having yet decriminalized simple possession are Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Idaho, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Kentucky, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, West Virginia, Wisconsin, and Wyoming. MPP advocates for complete decriminalization, which removes jail time as a threat for simple possession and instead imposes a civil penalty, like a fine. Toy Hutchinson, president and CEO of the Marijuana Policy Project, said, quote, It is absolutely amazing that in 2022, we have a multibillion-dollar industry and an entire ecosystem around it, and at the same time, we're still arresting almost 600,000 people a year for simple possession. Some states with medical marijuana pra- programs have not even decriminalized simple possession, like Oklahoma, Alabama, and Florida, which still criminalize it without a registered patient card. And despite federal law enforcement being barred from bringing cases against patients and suppliers that are in compliance with state-authorized medical marijuana programs, the continuation of federal prohibition has additional negative impacts on individuals, including impacts on employment opportunities, housing, and immigration. The report further noted that much of the data was supplied by the FBI's Uniform Crime Reporting Program. Now, because several agencies actually do not report their data to that program, and local jurisdictions may also undercount or underreport the number of persons arrested or jailed for nominal possession, that the total number of annual arrests likely exceeds 600,000 people a year. I found these statistics a little bit alarming, and it's extremely sad that uh, still every year in the United States more than half a million people. Are being arrested for nominal cannabis possession and also identifying that there are multiple medical marijuana states where without a card you could potentially go to jail for nominal possession to me this sounds insane we need to put more pressure on our politicians to make sure that the decriminalization movement is fully successful in every state this is brandon Dorsky reporting for the state of cannabis news
8: well the private prison industry is quite uh, a big lobbyist so there goes that
2: I wonder if they think it's unconstitutional to put a age limit on buying <laughs> Delta Eight as well.
0: Only at liquor stores and head shops, Rico, not at gas stations. Well,
9: Johnny Law doesn't want to give up his meal ticket, right? The easy, the easy busts, the easy way to to shuffle people off uh, into the into the into the prison system. So uh, it's one of our, I think, one of our biggest enemies is the police, police unions who want to fight for their uh, right to. Uh, to arrest people for virtually nothing. Texas is about freedom.
2: All right, we're at the end of the line for that story. Up next, and bringing us home, she's an attorney at law focusing at the nexus point between cannabis entertainment and psychedelics. She's also got the flyest IG out there on the team. (laughs) She's the founder of Cannabis Blog and Podcast, Shall We Talk? Coming to the stage next and bringing us home is Shalina Panu. What do you got for us today, Shalina?
12: Thank you, Rico, for that amazing intro. Good morning, everyone. My name is Shalina. I just want to do a follow-up from yesterday's article, which was about Nevada finalizing cannabis consumption lounge rules. So yesterday in Las Vegas, a public workshop was held to discuss Nevada's cannabis consumption lounge regulations. As reported by 8 News Now, the discussed rules and regulations at the public workshop were regarding lounge employee training requirements for packaging, and serving sizes of cannabis. The main concerns and questions were about social equity licenses and the application process. They also went over language changes in the regulations that were a cause of concern to local dispensaries and future applicants. As for how they will be giving out licenses, there will be an unlimited amount of licenses for dispensaries wishing to add on a lounge. There will be 10 social equity applicants in hopes of increasing diversity. Additionally, another 10 licenses will be given to those hoping to open a private standalone lounge. Cannabis Equity Inclusion Committee, Aisha Goyne, stated that although she's eager for this to happen, she appreciates the slow pace of the regulations coming out. She believes that this way they won't have to go back wishing they had done certain things differently. Licenses won't be issued until the board is finished with these regulations and take a vote on it. They may likely hold another public workshop. Did you attend this public uh, workshop? What are your thoughts on this meeting? My name is Shalene, and I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour.
2: Shalene, I think we did have somebody in the room. Oh, Nicole's up here now. Anybody want to put Nicole up front? Nicole Buffon went yesterday. Nicole, she, I don't
5: know if she's on in audience, but oh, yeah. there she oh, is.
1: I'm sorry. Here she is.
5: Hey, means.
11: Nicole. Good morning, everyone. Um, thank you. Yes, I, I attended the meeting yesterday. It was about two and a half hours. Um, I appreciate the CCB for. Um, making sure to take the time to listen to everyone's concerns. Um, And one of the biggest issues that was discussed was how the social equity licenses um, regulations are going to be issued out um, and and qualifications. Uh, So that, that was one of the biggest concerns, but also learning that the um, it's going to be up to the private uh, businesses and license holders to actually get the training for their um, servers. So, The health department is going to be in charge of training, but they're going to be looking at private businesses or organizations to actually do that training for the staff of the consumption lounges. A lot of interesting facts were were, um, discussed, and I appreciate the CCB for taking their time, like Aisha said, and listening to everyone and considering everyone's um, suggestions. One of my biggest suggestions was for unused cannabis to be donated to medical organizations and to veteran organizations instead of being destroyed and thrown away. Thanks, Nicole.
5: That was that's that was great. And um, shout out to Aisha. I know she's done some hard work and with her organization there in Nevada to um, make sure that the social equity piece is just not, um, you know, that it has some teeth to it.
1: Thank you. Uh,
2: is it, <clears throat> is it real, real quick, I, I just. I really hope that they do go forward uh, with everything, uh, allowing people to operate that don't have, um, uh, they don't have dispensaries as well. I thought it was really uh, uh, interesting the comment that Gerardo had yesterday. I agree.
1: All right. Well, we've reached the the top of the hour. That was a really great show. If you missed any of it, make sure to catch the replay or find us a few hours after the show anywhere you get your podcasts or on our YouTube channel. And if you like the content, please subscribe and leave a review. A big thank you to all of the correspondents that comb through all the headlines each day to bring us just what we need to know. A big thank you to Rico for co producing the show and to our pinup girl Liz Rogan. And thank you, audience, for being our eyes and ears. When there's news in your city, county, state, or country, your addition to our show makes the State of Cannabis News Hour news you can trust.
0: You've been tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific time for the State of Cannabis News Hour,
6: your daily dose. Say goodbye, Rico. Bye.